Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Saturday, one of the big Premier League matches, Newcastle beating Arsenal 1-0 on a second-half goal from Anthony Gordon, but it was not without controversy. Mikel Arteta absolutely furious that the goal was even allowed. He thought the ball leading to the goal had gone out, believed there was a foul on Joel Linton. Also, that Anthony Gordon was in an offside position on the goal, but VAR thought otherwise. After the match, Arteta did not hold back. But I have to be the one now coming here to try to defend the club and please ask for help because it's an absolute disgrace that this goal is allowed. It's an absolute disgrace. Why do you think it's a disgrace? Because it's not a goal. For many reasons, it's not a goal. For more than one reason, at least, it's not a goal. And it's too much at stake here. We put so much effort. It's so difficult to compete at this level. And it's an absolute disgrace. Again, I feel embarrassed. I've been more than 20 years in this country and this is nowhere near the level to describe this as the best league in the world. I am sorry. On Sunday, Arsenal issued this statement uh, saying they wholeheartedly support Mikel Arteta's post-match comments after yet more unacceptable refereeing and VAR errors on Saturday evening. So, to help us dive in further into this controversy, we bring in our good friend, Christina Uncle. Hello, Christina. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so this goal was uh, allowed, and I, I'm just curious to to kind of have you break it down and give us the reasons why this was deemed a good goal from a VAR standpoint. Yeah, and you, you hit it on the head. There were three different incidents that they had to be looked at here. There was a ball in and out. There was potential offside, and then the foul going in and out. So I was a bit, a little bit surprised at how many people have been focusing on the ball in and out. I think from the Men's World Cup, the Germany-Japan uh, game, it's very clear. Ball is spherical. And here there's no conclusive evidence that the ball even left the field. So therefore, here, it, there's nothing there that tells you otherwise. And most likely, that's it. Now, this is where I want people to focus at, <clears throat> because this is more of the arguing point in and of itself of whether or not this was a foul. And when we take a look and you have both arms going through the back of the shirt, I am actually personally surprised that was not recommended down. This is debatable. It could either have been sent down or not sent down. My preference would be because the arms are going through the back of the numbers, not a side-by-side, -side, but through the back of the numbers, that this should have been sent down because it's truly a simple foul, but yet it uh, prevented that defender from being able to defend that goal, essentially. So from a VAR perspective, I would have preferred that to be sent down. However, I do know PGMO is going with more of a higher standard when we talk about the UEFA model. 
of what is a clear, obvious error. But I think when we have these types of upper body uh, pushes, we talked about the Manchester Derby, the holding right correctly through the back or the hook. You know, those are those types of ones that the public eye is just not respective and they don't want those. So I think this should have been a recommendation for the foul itself, not for the ball in and out. Uh, Christina, I uh, first of all, thank you for uh, doing our show while you're being, uh, I guess, uh, you know, interrogated by the police. I don't know what's happening in that room. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, hope that, I hope the officer lets us continue the interview. Uh, I, my question is, you mentioned no conclusive evidence. That to me, besides the foul, which I guess is subjective to the ref, that to me would probably be the most frustrating part. Why are we not at a place where VAR, a requirement for VAR is to have cameras along the touch lines to understand when a ball is in or out inconclusively? Ultimately, it comes down to what the league is willing to financially fund when it comes to camera angles uh, and when it comes to effectively, that is, that's all really a league decision. So when we talk about why semi-automated offside technology, which would have those camera angles down the line, that was, that was not PGMO. That was Premier League who said, we did not want that for this year. Now, if they institute it next year, they will have those camera angles that shoot straight down. Goal lines, touch lines to be able to say with definity whether or not the ball has left that field. So truly that doesn't come down to the referee side. That comes down to the governing body. Christina, I know last season Arsenal received two apologies uh, from the Premier League in terms of refereeing decisions. And, and I've been covering the sport for a while now on this side of, of things. And to me, that goal met the threshold of a clear foul because of the extension of the arms. So I am so confused as to, with all these number of checks for that goal, why that wasn't clear and obvious as a foul because it is from behind and his arms are extended. So. Where are they saying that's not a foul? How is that deemed not a foul? That comes down to the VAR themselves not thinking. And Charlie, I'm with you on that. For me, one of the biggest things is, yes, it's going through the back of the numbers is what I say, right? But you're right. Anytime we jump, usually the arms are up. But once you extend that and push through and you can see the impact on that defender there that prevents him from moving forward, to me, that throws that in there. So now you have a VAR who's looking at this and kind of waffling. Is this clear and obvious, meaning does it reach a threshold that we would consider if we're going to put a percentage on it? 90% or more think this is a foul. He might have thought, ah, it might have been 15-15 or 51-49, and therefore it doesn't reach that threshold, so therefore I'm not going to send it down. Even though I think it may be an error, I don't think it's a clear and obvious error. So that goes down to just really breaking it down. And, you know, I know there's been a huge narrative and a focus in Premier League and PGMO about you know, the quality of VAR and where they're at, where their standards are. I know when Howard Webb steps in, you're literally having to go and kind of reconstruct essentially the level of where we're saying, here's a threshold that we're signing off. And one of the biggest things to focus on as a VAR is, yes, there's a clear and obvious error, but there's also things that the public doesn't accept because it's not justifiable to accept. So at this point, it's merely a decision by that VAR saying, I don't think this rises to 90% of the overall general thinking it's a foul. And as you said, it's being disputed through many punditries um, whether or not that would be enough for a clear and obvious foul. But for me, I err on the side that it's enough. Christina, two questions. First one, it sounds like you had a lot of fun at the Tampa Bay Sun launch party. <laughs> <laughs> I have completely lost my voice. I have been cheering on and ranching. So, yes, I have lost my voice. <laughs> nice. Sensational. Well, keep on having fun. Second question. I see Jurgen Klopp's rhetoric right after yeah. the, the Spurs loss, and then I see Mikel Arteta's rhetoric. And to me, that's two different 
types of ways of attacking the rest. Because in, in, in Liverpool's case, there was an error in the protocol. There was clear human error. They messed up. And then what Arteta's complaining about, it's more rather interpretation. It's subjective at the end of the day, right? It's not like they messed up. They, they made a call that should have gone the other way per protocol. So how dangerous does it become when Arteta's so vocally complaining against the referees and then the club backs him up with a statement for a referee call that with or without VAR could have happened. Uh, Nico, you hit on the head. I was really astonished when I saw Arsenal give that supporting statement. I understand uh, coaches can get frustrated. Maybe, uh, you know, actually that's probably some of the best sound bites. But post-game, you know, them being emotional and getting involved into it, not the greatest. And to your point, this is subjective. You know, the Liverpool match is just inexcusable. Um, But when you start using the narrative of the post-game to essentially attack the credibility of your refereeing, um, your refereeing quality, that's not the appropriate channels to do so. That transcends, as we've spoken before, down into the youth and the grassroots level and the semi-pro. But that's not the place and the time for that. And the fact that Arsenal doubled down on something which they had plenty of time to take a look at and say, is this something we want to continue to support? It's feeding into this bigger narrative that is trying to be created. And unfortunately, it makes it appear and it is starting to become using the media to weaponize against the referees and the referee community and the education and development. And that's bigger than just that. So, um, you know, Arteta knows his words matter and the club needs to respect the fact that their words matter. And that just ends up escalating and snowballing what you said. And I respect is it creates a dangerous environment for not just officials at the professional level, but the officials all the way down to the youth level. Um, Christina, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, Bruno Guimaraes elbow on Juninho. Uh, It looked to me really deliberate. They showed it on the broadcast many times. Um, It was never from what I from what I remember was never considered for VAR. It feels as though something of this magnitude crosses the threshold line on a violent act or a dangerous act on the pitch. Can you take me through the protocol as to why something like this wasn't taken a look at or why this, why this player was allowed to stay on the pitch? Yeah, there's a couple of considerations they're looking at. Speed, force, point of contact, et cetera. One of the biggest things, and I'm with you on it, like I cannot stand these types of challenges that go from the head up, sensitive area, um, an area that can cause quite a lot of uh, harm. Probably one of the considerations they're taking a look at as to why he did not recommend it down was the fact that it hit more of this kind of abrasing as opposed to a lock and essentially like an elbow right into the head. I have been a big proponent of these types of actions are not football actions. Ball's gone, ball's on the ground. There's no need to come in with the upper body, right? If you're coming into this challenge here, your arm is more essentially closer down towards his shoulder and not higher above for that. But since it hit basically more of, as you can see right there, not his elbow directly into, but the forearm directly into, that is probably, and I've seen it in other places as well, why that recommendation would not have been sent down. Me, I've always been on the camp of, and I know sometimes it depends upon where, but I've always been on the camp, send this down, eliminate this from this game. It has nothing to do with the game whatsoever, and it has a high propensity of, thankfully here, didn't, but it can have bigger ramifications aside from this game. It can create concussions. And as we all know, that can take you out of the game. So for me, I want this to be a VAR recommendation down as well. But that would be the one consideration as to why the VAR would not have sent it down just because it hit the forearm. And there may not have been a full extension going through. But for me, it doesn't matter. You play with the head, you make any type of attempt like that. It's not natural. It's not part of the game. Get it out. 
So let me just make it, uh, take a note here. So in England, it's okay to hit someone in the back of the head during a game as long as it's a softer part of your arm. <laughs> no, not at all. Thanks for taking my words out of context. Um, yeah, that no, was- it just essentially saying, you know, <clears throat> that's where those, you know, you're gonna, always going to have things that all within the gray area, and these are ones that fall within the gray area, right? It's not a direct punch to the head, et cetera. But effectively, that is where the VAR and explaining potentially why he did not recommend it down. And what I'm saying is I'm with you on that, right? Now you got people saying, now you can just hit somebody in the head, right? As long as you, you know, hit it with the softer part of your arm. So, <laughs> and that's why I say we recommend these down so Jump that we don't have those, uh, those statements. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about <laughs> the, the polo that you're wearing Oh, right yeah. The logo. Because the oh, logo yes. is absolutely that fire. Is thank you, thank you. As we know, uh, a lot of football clubs have gone through rebranding. So when you do your own professional club branding, you get really nervous. You can't, you, you, you can't fail, right? You can't drop it. So Tampa Bay Sun Football Club, our name officially launched on Saturday, a.k.a. where my voice is gone <laughs> as I was cheering up the crowd of hundreds of people. Um, and, yeah, the logo in and of itself is inspired by – with the community here. There were already over, there were 2,500 submissions by the community in the Tampa Bay area. Nine individuals and more picked something related to the sun. So it was a clear indication that, you know, the sun truly does unify us all and is one factor in our Tampa Bay region. Um, and a huge proponent of the logo one, because obviously the sun, I love the mask look. It feels a little bit Latina for me. So I love that. Uh, the maritime culture and specifically where we're playing is an Ebor center, which historically was the uh, cigar capital of the world. And you can see a lot of the culture and the textile of Cubans, uh, Colombians in our environment and area. And that's what really shapes and crests the sun. So it's a pro club by the community. It's been named by the community. It's for the community. I can't wait to get you guys all of these kinds of And when our jersey comes out in the spring, get you guys all happy. Oh, I can't wait to see that kit. Heck yeah. I know, me too. I know. Me too, it's been in the work. Oh, yeah, can't wait to have that for you guys. And thanks for uh, letting me plug it as I'm with your affiliate here on Grid Day Live in Tampa Bay on CBS right now. Thank you. Interrogation. Thank you, Madam President. Amazing. Madam President. Uh, No, you absolutely crushed it with that crest. It is awesome. Christina, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, Thank you all. Nico, Boca Boca Juniors. Boca Colors. Oh, look at that. Synergy. synergy. All right. Um, Okay, guys, we're going to take another break. Jeff Shreves is going to join us to chat the weekend in Premier League on the other side. We'll be right back. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back. Here's a look at the notable weekend results in the Premier League. Manchester United get a much-needed 1-0 win over Fulham. Manchester City wiped the floor with Bournemouth. Sorry, Jen Calhoun. 6-1. Sheffield United with a big 2-1 win over Wolves. Nottingham Forest 2-0 over Aston Villa, who had been playing really, really well. And uh, Luton Town, an impressive effort against Liverpool. That one ends in a 1-1 draw for more on the weekend action in the Premier League. Let's bring in our very good friend, Jeff Shreves. Hello, Jeff. How are you this morning? 
I'm good, thank you. I was just really interested in listening to Christina there. Um, she makes some excellent points. Obviously, she's a highly qualified referee and a lawyer, and I would never, ever challenge her on many things. But having heard her description of where she lives and the climate and the cigars, I think I should go down in person and have a chat with her. There we go. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I think that'd make for I'm some not, good I'm, content. <laughs> I'm not surprised that VAR is just the talking point everywhere. I mean, I've done thousands of post-match interviews, but Mikel Arteta on some, on some Saturday night, that was just absolutely extraordinary. The language that he used, it was so emotive. It was so passionate. I'm sick. It's an absolute disgrace. I'm embarrassed. These are really, really strong words. But just to pick up on something that Christina said, because she was not at all happy with the club statement, which basically doubled down on Mikel Arteta's um, criticism of the standard of officiating in the Premier League at the moment. She said she didn't think it was the appropriate forum. I think if you read between the lines on the club statement, it almost points to this being, in their opinion, and Mikel Arteta's opinion, the straw that broke the camel's back. They're kind of saying that they've had enough of subsequent analysis. They've kind of had enough of explanations. They've had enough of apologies. In their opinion, this just happened to them too often, too many times. They're mystified as to why VAR calls are being made. Now, it was Arsenal this weekend, and there were other calls in the game outside of the goal, which were more than debatable as well. But when you do a roundup of all the managers after the games of the weekend, you know, I saw Gary O'Neill, I saw Sean Dyche when they were asked about various VAR decisions, and literally they both did the same shoulder movement like this. Don't know. Don't know. Can't tell you. Now, there has to be something wrong when the coaches and the players and, if you like, the supporters don't actually understand the system and the protocols and, indeed, whether or not they are correct. Uh, well, that was certainly the talking point of the weekend, that Arsenal-Newcastle result. Uh, but, Jeff, for you, what was your moment of the weekend when you look at all the, all the results that we saw? Oh, no question. Luis Diaz. I mean, none of us can imagine what this poor young man has been going through, having his parents kidnapped in Colombia. Uh, then his mother is released. There's still the uncertainty surrounding um, his father and when he'll be released. For him to come on and get the equalising goal so late into the game. Don't forget, he hadn't been in the two previous squads due to the situation. To come and have an impact and then, of course for him to reveal his message, freedom for Papa. He kind of used football as a bit of escapism, if you like, from the, the dreadful, dreadful pressures that he's under. So it was a, a happier ending for Liverpool Football Club on Saturday rather than Sunday rather than face a loss. Let's just hope and pray it's a happy ending for his family as well and soon. I, I just want to give a little bit of context to that because there haven't been kidnappings like this in Colombia in a really long time. There was a bad era in, in the 90s and Colombia has moved forward politically since then. Mm. It's been a what Col Colombia is a, a, a functioning like a normal society. It's controlled by the government and not by, by, by narcos. The, the freeways have been opened. It's, it's free to move around, unlike the 90s. But now politically they've come back into this and we see this type of a moment. It's, uh, it, it, it's, it's kind of crazy to see and for him to go back and play it, like, like you say, Jeff, it's, it's the escapism. What he knows is football, and through football, he's able to have this moment just, I guess, for himself. And then when he scores, 
show it to the world. Um, and I want to move on. I mean, we could dwell on this f for a long time because it is a very serious issue. But uh, on a happier note, what was uh, your goal of the weekend? Oh, goal of the weekend. There was some, there's some real contenders as there as well. But I'm going to have to go with Bernardo Silva. His second for Manchester City against Bournemouth was just absolutely magnificent. I mean, great assist there from Doku. But when he comes in here, he, in his mind, he's got several options, but what shall I do? Okay, let's go past him, sit the keeper down, and just a little chip over him. And Pep Guardiola said, as soon as I saw it in that moment, I thought, that reminds me of Messi. He said, I remembered Messi doing that many, many times. He reminds me of Messi. And there's not many higher compliments you can pay a player, is there? That's that's for sure. That's I mean, and, and Doku had uh, an incredible Oof. match. Yeah, I think a match that flew under the radar, Jeff, is is Nottingham Forest beating Aston Villa, um, mm. and, and Matt Turner, uh, the U.S. number one, on the bench uh, for this one. What were your thoughts on on that match? Well, going into the game, everyone was backing high flying Villa because Unai Emery has got an unbelievable stats. I think before the weekend, he was averaging two points per Premier League game, which is absolutely sensational return so for Nottingham Forest to turn over the, the Midlands rivals like that was an extraordinary um, performance from them and once again we're talking about goalkeepers aren't we not just Pat Turner on the bench but look Emmy Martinez World Cup winner unfortunately uh, to, to use an expression without any irony he had a hand in one of the goals unfortunately mm -hmm. the hand wasn't very good um, yeah brilliant performance once again just shows you what the Premier League is like Form can go completely out of the window. I don't think there would be many backers on Nottingham Forest outside their own supporters going into that game. Fantastic performance, though. Brilliant. Uh, Jeff Shreves, I want to move on a little bit to uh, next weekend coming up. We've got uh, Pochettino. Uh, Pochettino's going to have a, a big match, uh, Chelsea versus Tottenham. What are your thoughts on that? You say, you say big match. All the talk. Is, it's not about tactics. It's not about Chelsea's run. It's not about Tottenham. Um, can they get back to the top of the Premier League? It's all about how will Poch be received by the Tottenham Hotspur fans. He was there for five years, and this is the first time he's been back there since 2019. He say, came so very, very close. Champions League, the League Cup, the league itself. He was always nearly there. They absolutely adored him. And when he left, there was a lot of Tottenham fans wished he hadn't. When the time he was away and various other managers came and went, a lot of talk about him going back there. But it never, ever happened. So how will he be received by the fans? I think the fact that Tottenham are doing so well right now, that will put them in a good mood. And also Chelsea not doing so well, obviously. So they won't necessarily have the same fear factor because Chelsea are always up for this game. But everything at Tottenham right now, all, it's not all down to Big Ange, but because of Ange, there is a tremendous feeling of the connection between the players, between the supporters, They've got 26 points right now. He's made the best ever start to a new club in the Premier League. And, and also as well, I think if you go back in the Premier League, 26 points at this stage of the season after 10 games, every single time that has happened in a 38-game season, they finished in the top three. So all the signs for Tottenham right now are looking great. And when it was put to him last week, Postacoglu, do you think Tottenham fans should dream about winning the title itself? He said, why not? Why shouldn't they? You know, he's, he's not saying we're going to. He's not making any sort of statements, but that's the whole point. Enjoy your football. Believe. Dare to dream. Uh, and I just want to correct myself. The game is actually today. Someone just in my ear reminded me it's not Friday. 
So, so it's not Friday? T- time, time for you with Tottenham at the top of the table moves very slowly, doesn't <laughs> yeah, yeah. it? I'm suffering over here. Jeff, um, it's being widely reported that Emma Hayes is set to take over as the U.S. Women's National Team manager. What can you tell the U.S. Women's National Team fans, America, what we should expect from, from her on the sidelines? Well, you're talking about a highly intelligent, experienced and extremely, well, I was going to say good. That doesn't do her justice. In 11 years that Emma has been at Chelsea, 15 trophies, just the Champions League is the one that has eluded her. She's an extraordinary soccer coach. She has the respect of everybody within the women's game and also plenty of admirers outside of that in the men's game for her coaching methods. She's thorough. She is somebody, she looks at the person first and foremost, as well as their ability. She's forgiving often when something goes wrong. But if it goes off, if it goes wrong again, then she's unforgiving. She's an absolutely superb coach. And I think in many ways, after she'd done so well at Chelsea, she turned them around from, they were really nothing like the force they are uh, as women's football in Chelsea, never mind in the WSL in this country. But really, the next job of magnitude for her to go to, for her, if she goes to USWA, that is just an extraordinary, extraordinary um, position for them today. And I think she's got unfinished business as well, hasn't she, with the US women's national team? Yeah. She coached out in America, so people know of her, but that was a long time ago. Um, She's got a couple of Americans in her squad here. So I would have thought that they would welcome her. You tell me, what has been the reaction to, because it's not confirmed, what's been the reaction to the rumour? Highly, highly positive. Very yeah. excited. Everyone's excited about, about this potential appointment. And, and I think it's, it's what this US Women's National Team needs. Uh, she's, she, honestly, she's supremely talented. And as well as her technical knowledge, it's her emotional intelligence that sets her apart from many other coaches. She really is a very, very special coach. Yeah, it feels like it would be such an incredible get for the for the U.S. Um, exciting times. Jeff Shreves, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I'm sure we'll catch up with you very soon. My pleasure as always. All right, guys, we are going to take another time out. Michelle's going to be back with some more headlines when we return. Stay with us. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome back. Here's a look at your Monday footy fix in the Premier League. We've got a London Derby Tottenham hosting Chelsea 3 p.m. on Peacock. We've got a couple Serie A matches to look forward to. Frosinone taking on Empoli at 12.30 and at 2.45 Torino versus Sassuolo. You can watch that on Galazzo Network. In Brasil, Vasco da Gama versus Botafogo, 5 p.m. on Paramount+. Plus. Big one. And MLS Cup playoffs will see RSL host Houston in Game 2, 9 p.m. on Apple TV+. Plus. Right now, let's send it over to Michelle for some more headlines. Michelle. 
Real. All right. In Spain, Real Madrid has confirmed that Jude Bellingham suffered a dislocated shoulder in Saturday's goalless draw with Real Vallecano. Uh, Bellingham refinished the match despite the injury, but now the scans have revealed the extent of the injury. It remains unclear whether Bellingham will be available for Wednesday's Champions League match against Braga. Nika Real Madrid has been leaning heavily on Bellingham's heroics throughout this entire season. Do you see them struggling a little bit if he has to miss some significant time? I'm not sure. We don't know what Real Madrid without Jude Bellingham is this season. He's a critical part to their success. Uh, sometimes he plays well, sometimes he doesn't play that well, using Gattuso's words in a more <laughs> elevated manner. Even though we can say it. Um, but uh, it's clear that when you lose Bellingham, you lose a lot. I just want to point out, I texted you guys in the group chat. I was watching the Real Madrid game, and immediately when he goes down, it looked nasty. He, looked, he was in a lot of pain. I'm, the alarm bells went off. Jude Bellingham's injured. And I thought, I was like, okay, he's... He, he's, he's done. He's going to get subbed off. The stretcher was ready. Rodrigo was ro- warming up. And he played the full 90. He yeah, one good. for the gipper. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that <laughs> is. But <laughs> yeah. No one but, was expecting but, that. But I want everyone to know. No one was expecting <laughs> that. <laughs> so, well, excuse me, I, I didn't catch that. Yeah, yeah. One more that? time. What was that? Get one for the gipper. <laughs> I wasn't worse the second what time. What is it? Who is that? I don't know. It's like it. old school football. Like you get out there and yeah. you know you yeah. you, you, you leave it all on is the pitch. Is that like a you Lombard- play with one like one arm? You know? yeah. Yeah. I feel like a cigar. Yeah, exactly. Right? This kid's yeah. been chewing tobacco all week. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was impressive. Uh, Tata Brown, uh, center back for Argentina in the 1986 World Cup final, dislocated his shoulder. He bit a hole into his shirt <laughs> and tucked his thumb into the shirt and played the rest of the game like that. He scored one of the goals, I believe. Yeah, thank God there's protocol now where you can't do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone like uh, Jude Bellingham, I mean, we, we say we struggle to find more superlatives. Uh, you put one in the group chat, which I don't think we can say on TV. But I will say that he has showed you time and time again that there's a level that we have yet to see him reach. Now getting injured, an injury where most of us would, I'd walk off the pitch, I'd be suing the league. You know, and he's on there, he, he finishes the game. I mean, it's absolutely impressive. Just time and time again, he shows you there's more, that we have not seen what the ceiling is. And it's kind of scary to see how much further this kid can go. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the toughness, right? It's like, yeah. I mean, that is no joke. Like, and you said, like, he looked like he was in a ton of pain when when that happened, and he just carried on to play the full ninety. We can add, I mean, what were some of the adjectives that we threw you out said in the group chat? Much worse than what I said in the group chat. Yeah, on, you on say? this yeah, show. Okay, but I, I said he had he had ginormous ones. <laughs> well, that's beside yes. the point. So he even <laughs> even he even did the hands. But it's true. Yeah. It's true. The, the, just, he's, he's brave. My Look at what's going through your mind right now. <laughs> they actually asked, they asked, uh, they asked Jude Bellingham's dad, and he said he took one for the Gipper. The Gipper. <laughs> I just, I want to see how. We need a name for that character. <laughs> it's Leonard Maloney's dad. <laughs> oh, God, Leonard Maloney. Leonard Maloney. It's one of my favorites. I, I want to see favorites. how Ramajud manages his injury. Because yeah. Because they might be rushed to get him back. But maybe but pressuring him. This is also a, a, an instance where you don't want this to be something that he has for the no, rest of no, his you career. Pay too much no, money no, 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 because no. you're. No, you've got him. You've got to play it safe with. He him. wants to play, he, and this if you kept asking treasure. him, he's not going to say, "Oh yeah, I need the rest." They have to step in. The medical team said, "We got to have this shoulder completely heal." hundred percent. No, wrap this man in, in bubble wrap, please. Mm-hmm. 
protect him at all costs. All right. We're going to take a break. Sandra Herrera is going to join us when we return. We're going to dive into some NWSL semifinal action. Don't go anywhere. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Underway in the NWSL playoffs. Allie Krieger hoping this will not be her final professional match. No goals. And we can guarantee you drama to come. To Stengel. Stengel with a strong. are going to the final against Gotham next Saturday. San Diego's season is over. Wow, the NWSL final is set next weekend. Gotham FC taking on the OL Reign, 8 p.m. Eastern at Snapdragon Stadium in San Diego. Games you can watch on CBS and Paramount+. Plus. It is going to be so exciting. And uh, right now, we are very excited to bring in our good friend, Sandra Herrera, to help us break down all the semi-final action. Good morning, Sandra. Good morning. What a oh. wonderful day. Oh, we're so hyped. <laughs> we are so hyped. Okay, so let's talk about Gotham FC and OL Reign because I I don't think a lot of people thought that it was going to be these two teams that would be facing off in the final. Uh, Gotham knock off the defending champs. OL Reign knock off the Shield winners. How surprised were you that it's these two teams left standing? You know, I'm with you, Susanna. I, 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 even me, I'll put myself on blast. I had my my dream rankings of who I wanted to see in the NWSL championship versus my like realistic kind of here's what I think is actually going to happen type of prediction. And I had number one and number two going head to head in the championship final. But for my dream ranking matchups, this is the one OL Reign versus Gotham. So I, I don't think there's anything that's probably more representative of NWSL than having a number number four seated team and a number uh, six seated team heading to the championship final to compete for the biggest piece of hardware in NWSL. It's, it's, couldn't have scripted it any better. I know there's already a lot of folks excited about the storylines going into this one. Gotham going to be their first ever championship uh, appearance. They're be another crack for O.L. Reign and, and Laura Harvey. Is this going to be the one is the third time the charm. So there's a lot of fun stuff heading into this one. Uh, Sandra, first I want to give you uh, props. We asked you who do you think would be the standout player for the Gotham game. You said Nyswanger, and boom, uh, one of the best players on the pitch. So shouts to you. So I'm going to ask you to go back on that crystal ball and tell us what's going to happen. Two players on each side of the pitch are retiring after this game. Mega Rapino playing her final club game. Allie Krieger playing her final club game. One of them will be lifting hardware. Early, early offsets, it's early doors, but who do you think will be that one? It's incredible, isn't it? I'm so excited for this this matchup. You know, it's giving Y2K, 
You know, it's giving 50 Cent in the club. You know, it's giving Britney Spears one more time. It's like everybody's going to get up to their like Y2K playlist and, and get ready for this uh, this matchup. I can't wait to, to listen to what everybody's listening to. But there can only be one. I think that's the other side of the coin in this one. It's almost like a neutrals favorite uh, matchup for this championship. But who are you going to go with? Uh, look, I think the experience is going to be on the side of O.L. Reign, but there's something just very special about this Gotham FC side. You can see in every single playoff round that they get one step closer. It's not Ali Krieger's last game. They are shouting it at the top of their lungs after every victory. And you could just see that they absolutely want it. But that's not to say that the rain don't either. Laura Harvey in postgame comments saying it would mean everything to finally lift this trophy that has sort of eluded them for so long. So I think when it comes down, going head to head in a neutral territory kind of site, I'm going to give a little bit of an edge to O.L. Reign just for them already kind of being out there, settling in and having some of that experience on their side. I think Rapino walks away with maybe another trophy. And you talked about O.L. Reign and, and their advantage on experience, but also I look at their midfield with, with Sonnet, Fishlock, Rose Lavelle. Who do you think needs to have the big game to get this done for them? Yeah, for O.L. Reign, I think when we were watching that first, or excuse me, that second semifinal with Reign and, and Wave, one of the things that kind of like crossed my mind watching all of the play on the pitch was like, oh, Rose Lavelle is like, for real back back to the game um she was slicing and dicing there's n no one better out there right now with with vision for for the pitch and i think when you take a look at how that game winning goal comes to life they had a game plan they said you know what we're just gonna go ahead and, and try to make sure that we capitalize on these wide spaces that's being given to us by by uh, the wave and and it was generated between a little bit of give and go between her and and Veronica Latsko. So I'm gonna still keep eyes on on Roosevelt and say she's she's gonna have another big game. Sandra, I asked you on Thursday amongst the four teams who not lifting the title would have a more devastating season. And I'm pretty sure you said Portland Thorns. Um, how do you grade their season now that they didn't make the final? Yeah, I think you have to try to find your silver linings if you're Portland and, and find the, the things that you were successful at. They were the team going into 2023 as the most likely team to kind of make it to, to this point. And they did to an extent. They got all the way to the semifinal as a number two seed. But there are some things that they have to go back and look at and say, we dropped the ball on some areas. This is the second consecutive season where they weren't able to obtain the shield despite getting a high seed in the playoff push. And that might be a little bit of a disappointment for this team. Sophia Smith kind of alluding to that a little bit within her postgame comments as well, saying we need to get back to it and make sure that we never feel like this Again, competitors hate to lose. And there was nothing more evident, I think, for some of those Thorns players when they had to kind of settle with all of those emotions uh, post-game. So to walk away out of 2023 with not a ton of team collective hardware, maybe that's going to be a disappointment for them. But I think it's difficult to take a look at what was one of the probably deepest teams in the league and see that they had enough to try to run it back and put it together, but, but fell just short. Sandra, do you see any players from the Thorns or the Wave uh, departing and, and moving overseas for next year? You know, I don't know about overseas, but 
free agency has been in in full swing. There's a number of players that are listed on the free agency list. Becky Sarbon, I think, said it best. You know, she's a player that has been through a lot and seen a lot. And with the Thorns, she said, you know, free agency was something that players fought for in the collective bargaining agreement. And she's going to go ahead and test those waters a little bit, sort of see what that's about. This is just the second offseason where there's going to be a free agency period. There's already a little bit of history about what it means, what it could look like, how it can work. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I think every team going in season to season knows that that's a unique set of players and that every offseason can bring change. And that doesn't matter if you finish in last place or even fall short in the semifinal. Uh, there will likely be some, some changes for either the Wave or the Thorns heading into next year. I'm not too sure if it'll be necessarily overseas, uh, but uh, I, I'm pretty sure there'll be some change within the league. Uh, Sandra, pivoting just a, a little bit, some of the big news over the weekend was that Emma Hayes is reportedly very close to becoming the next U.S. Women's National Team head coach. We are super hyped mm -hmm. at, at this desk. We chatted about it earlier on the show, but uh, what was your reaction to this news? Excellent. What a choice. <laughs> what a selection. Um, I think it checks off a lot of boxes for um, U.S. soccer sporting director Matt Crocker in terms of what he was looking for to present to the board for the next coach to to take on the role. And I think this is a candidate that had checked all those boxes, the boxes of, you know, someone who has an excellent tactical mind, someone who, um, you know, is not necessarily afraid to make those uh, adjustments in game. Um, someone who is a, a very good communicator who can um, kind of communicate those tactics, not just about presenting them, but making sure um, elite players um who understand their roles moving forward, whatever those tactics are. And again, this is these are all the boxes that they wanted to get checked. And I think when you look at Emma Hayes, this is the candidate that checks those boxes. As far as the the shortlist in terms of names that we heard, I think this was someone who they wanted to cast a wide net and, and maybe, just maybe, they could have uh, gone ahead and lured her. But I think when you look at the sort of the lore uh, of Emma Hayes and all of the success that she's had overseas and in England within uh, WSL and with Chelsea, you wonder, was there ever going to be a position that actually uh, kind of lured this particular manager away from the job? And you had to say, well, with all of the things that she's already won, all her accolades, everything that she's achieved, that anything's a possibility, but it would have to be one hell of a job. And I don't know if there might've been any other position other than this one that could have lured her away. So it sounds like those details are getting finalized and this is going to be the gig that brings her back to the States. Woo, exciting times. Uh, Sandra, you're the best. We always love catching up with you. Thank you so much for the time this morning. Have a great morning, y'all. All right, guys, we are going to take a break. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.
Welcome back. Here's the weekend results in Ligue 1. PSG get the 3-0 win over Montpellier. Uh, Lorient and Lens end in a 0-0 draw. Monaco beat Brest 2-0. And uh, Lyon and Metz end in a 1-1 draw. So with that result, Lyon remain at the bottom of the table. And after this match, uh, the, the Lyon Ultras wanted to confront head coach Fabio Grosso, and this is what that looked like. And we've seen this before where clubs have, the, the fans have, have confronted the, the team yeah. when performances have not been, been going well, but things have been so dire for Lyon. What is your reaction when you see this? Are, do, the, do the Ultras have, have a reason to be upset? Like, are they entitled to this moment? Well, they sit dead last in, in Ligue 1 with zero wins. The tone of this confrontation was different, though, because it was more encouraging rather than anything else, as opposed to the scenes we saw from, what, a month and a half ago when they were calling out the players and the manager before Grosso came in. Grosso has a horrendous record so far. He's been unable to win. I think he has two points since he's taken over. But what can you do? Can you, do you keep on berating your team when they're not getting the results? Or at this point, do you have to change the tone and support your manager despite the poor results? Because they hired him, they, they, I guess they believed in him, but the tone was different as opposed to what it was He's a month ago. Awesome. But don't forget, he just took a, you know, a, a really bad injury Correct. while being attacked from a another... A projectile. Yes. A flew projectile. into his face. Rumor, uh, the, it was After reported the bus was somewhere, attacked. Yeah, it was, it was uh, Petonk balls, Pache balls, uh, which is extremely dangerous. Mm -hmm. But um, gets a really bad injury, and he says he's a fighter. He has some positive words. So maybe that sort of gave the, the fan base pause to think, like, okay, he's clearly committed to this cause. So... I, it's, at least it's a lighter tone than what we've seen. I just think overall, this continuing to happen, especially for Ligon, is, I mean, the TV rights deals are up. I know they're looking for 2.8% or 2.8 time increase on their international TV rights, not getting a lot of bids. Locally, they're not, uh, domestically, they're not getting a lot of bids. It's a, it seems like a really a weird moment of reckoning for Ligon and where they go from here. Probably going to miss, probably going to lose Mbappe soon as a league. There's a lot going on. You don't want your Olympic Lyonnais, one of the one of the proudest clubs in your in your league, in the history of this league, to all of a sudden be in last place, four points out of ten matches. It's embarrassing. It's just not good enough. I mean, Grosso, what has he done as a manager to to warrant that much time? It, Frozenone is is where he came from before this, and that for me, that you're not a proven winner as a coach yeah. to say this is one of the iconic clubs in world football, especially in France. And you're rock bottom with zero wins. What, what more do you need to see? And if, also, if, you're, if you're the owner of the club of Lyon, you're looking at Grosso and you're saying, you know what, we need to go in a different direction. I don't know if they can afford a second firing within the same season. Grosso's also not a specialist of dealing with a club that's dead last, a specialist of getting somebody out of a crisis. Mm. I don't know how much he dealt with Frosinone. He's He almost pushed the envelope with Frosinone and succeeded, like surpassed expectations. Um, it's a completely different mm -hmm. context at a big club that's doing horrendously. It's probably, I, I, I wouldn't know the stats, but this has got to be their worst start to their history, without a doubt. At least in recent history, for yeah. sure. I mean, this is a club that was seventh last season in Liga. Yeah. 
to zero wins right now in the rock bottom. That, it, it's unimaginable. Crazy. Playing in France, I remember just thinking, looking at the Juninho days, uh, yeah. Bucano playing at Lyon and just banging free kicks. They're in Champions League countless times. They've won league after league after league. To now, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. What are, what are the odds, too, that this mirrors the, the Ajax situation so mm. closely? Interesting. To, I mean, granted, Ajax is a perennial winner. Mm-hmm. Leon, not necessarily. But you mentioned seventh place. It's, it, this is a long-standing, high-performing club for Lyon. To be in this position is, is kind of almost embarrassing. And for the fans to just continue to sort of, or these supporters to continue to have sort of words with the team and the manager and these things not go, it brings up the question... Do they have a contingency plan in case mm. you have to walk away from Grasso? What happens? Is, it, is there someone in the maybe in the lower parts are the youth in the youth uh, coaching that can sort of take this job and just go back to basics? It seems like this team just needs to go back to simple tactics. I wonder if Thierry Henry would be a candidate for a job like this, no considering way. all the success he's had. Olympics on the line. You yeah. think he would I, leave that no, to I, a crisis? I, I, I wouldn't leave that Why situation, but I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if Leon would be, say, hey, You're gonna get a phone this is a guy we're trying to get seconds. after. Yeah, you're making it hot, bro. A lot of questions <laughs> for American owner John Texter, by the way. Mm. He was seen in Brazil. We just saw him last week. Not even seven days, less than seven days ago. He was not seen at the stands yesterday. Mm, interesting. Very interesting. Because he was arguing still in Brazil. <laughs> it's All right. his house in Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> We need, to, we need to head to another break before we do. We put up a poll on our socials letting you guys vote for our goal of the month for October, and uh, it was Harry Kane who won with his half-field goal versus Darmstadt. Ah, yeah. yeah. Easy. Easy. Worthy. Easy peasy. Worthy, I would say so. All right, guys, we're going to take another break. Um, we are breaking down our best moments of the weekend when we return. Welcome back to Morning Footy. Thanks for starting your week with us. Um, All right, we're going to dive into our best moments of the weekend. And I am going to kick things off. Jeff Shreves mentioned it earlier in the show. But for me, the moment of the weekend was Luis Diaz of Liverpool scoring uh, the game-tying goal. And this in the midst of his father uh, currently being kidnapped in Colombia. And he is not home yet. And for me, obviously, hit that moment for him. But then to watch him after the game and the support from the Luton players, the hug that Jurgen Klopp gave him, the hug that his teammates gave him, um, it was just such a beautiful showing from the soccer community in in such a a dire time for him. And it just gave me all the feels. And it was one of those reminders that, like, some things are so much bigger than than sports and the results. So I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. It is beautiful and deep. Yep. Nico, you're up. Um, for me, my moment of the weekend, the best of the weekend was the Boca fans in Rio de Janeiro. Um, because I really didn't expect such a big showing, and Boca lived up to the expectation. And Boca is great because of its people and because of its supporters, and the way that they were able to be in Rio was incredible. Amazing. For mine, it's just the scenes of Marcelo, everything he's done, the crying, the tears. Winning a Copa Libertadores is the first one for your club. Uh, absolutely massive. Congratulations to Marcelo. End of his career, coming towards the end of his career. Clearly, this was a big, meaningful moment for him. And my moment is uh, finishing up the fall season 
coaching Hingamtown Soccer and the Galway Rovers club team. Um, shout out to all the, the, the boys and the families that watch the show. They're big fans. Um, but their understanding of positions and first touch and passing and moving. Oh, give yourself some credit. All the coach. What was your record? No. <laughs> what was your record? <laughs> it was a good Fuck record. <laughs> Unbeaten in both teams. 7-0-1. Hey, 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 come on now. Hey, hey, no, it's more about the pack. Hey, Leon, the Leon's on the phone. <laughs> hey, Leon's on the phone. <laughs> 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 I love, I love. Oh, la la. Amazing. Oh, great stuff. No, all good. Goodbye. Guys, thanks so much for watching. Let's do it again tomorrow. Bonjour. Have a fantastic Monday. Jean Montbert. Yes, Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.